1: All right. I want everybody to picture this. It's 1973. Overhead establishing shot of Manhattan. You zoom in. You see the crime-infested city. It's the perfect song. It is the perfect song. It's Four Cornered Room by War up their 1972 album The World is a Ghetto. It's also number 444 out of 500 on the Spotify original The 500 with me, Josh Adam Myers, the King Cadougal, the King of Fleece. What's up, Fleece Army? Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving and thank you. Once again, for joining me on the journey through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. Did you hear me say five? I was like, five. When he gets the real growl, it's like, ha, give me 500 greatest albums. That's how, I, that's how I feel like I should talk. I think everybody assumes that I should be. <laughs> By the end of this, when we're at like year nine, I'm going to be like, all right, y'all. Y'all ready to do some Instagram stories? Do some Instagram stories. No, listen to that. Garbage disposal voice guy What he just said Do the Instagram stories everybody Show me how you're listening to the 500 Take a screenshot of how you're listening Hopefully on Spotify And I want you guys to tag me on Instagram stories At Josh Adam Myers Throw our new Instagram handle At the 500 podcast And then put a hashtag Fleece army So we can get a 24 hour ad On your Instagram to show everybody How much you love this show You guys want to find out a little bit about this record? Released in November of 1972 and produced by Jerry Goldstein with Lonnie Jordan, Howard E. Scott, this is the fifth album from soul jazz, funk, rock, Latin fusion band, War. War featured members Howard E. Scott on guitar, Leroy Jordan on keyboards, Morris Dickerson on bass, Harold Ray Brown on drums, Charles Lowrider Miller on the sax and the flute. Thomas Papa D. Allen on percussion and sole white member, yet the one who had the best afro. Only white dude in the band had the best afro. Denmark's harmonica player, Lee Oscar. All of War also contributed vocals and additional percussion to the album. Forming from seeds of the Long Beach, California group The Creators that was started in 62, they added most of their members who lived in surrounding areas and put out a few singles before morphing Into Night Shift In 1968 Now as Night Shift They backed up Los Angeles Ram Defensive end Deacon Jones Who also Had a live Singing career Uh That's ridiculous It was in 1969 While playing with Jones At the Ragdoll Nightclub In North Hollywood That producer Jerry Goldstein And future manager Steve Gold Saw the band and thought the sound of the fusion of their influences and multi-ethnic look would be perfect to back up British singer Eric Burden, who had just left the popular British invasion group, The Animals. And Nightship's message of using music to promote unity, brotherhood, and harmony to combat racism, crime, hunger, and gang life was timely. Burden and harmonica virtuoso Lee Oscar, who had already teamed up, jammed with the band at the ragdoll, and they all decided to collaborate further, Lee Oscar's harmonica formed a unique variation on a horn section with Charles Miller's saxophone, and part of War's signature sound was born. Goldstein, Gold, and Burden changed the name of the group to War in April of 70, they put out their first record, Eric Burden declares War. It was a success and contained the hit Spill the Wine, which was written by the band. You guys know Spill the Wine, it's from the movie Boogie Nights. Spill the wine, get that girl bobble. Oh, a you know it. After their second album was released, the band toured to rave reviews. However, Burden quit in the middle of their European tour, so war finished without him. The band returned to Los Angeles to make their third album, but first without Burden. The 1971 album, War, flopped. But later, that same year, they put out all-day music with the million-selling single Slipping Into Darkness, which exploded. The stage was set for their follow-up album, which was to continue their musical explorations and reflections on most members' past lives in the ghetto. And war did not disappoint. The World is a Ghetto was the number one selling album of 1972. It went triple platinum and topped the polls and the charts. The band had several more successful albums after this and continued to play in various lineups and configurations until the 80s. Tragically, saxophonist and flautist Charles Miller was stabbed to death in a botched street robbery in 1980. Fuck, dude. does bum me out. I liked him. Later, the band lost percussionist Thomas Papa D. Allen after he died on stage of a heart attack or brain hemorrhage in 1988. We don't even know. <laughs> All due respect, I'm not trying to come off like a dickhead right now. It just it's. You, you get caught off by surprise when, in the middle of all this, like, and then they topped the charts, and then they fucking had a number one single. Tragically, Thomas Papa D died on stage. He shit himself to death, and you're like, Jesus Christ. All due respect to Charles Miller and Thomas Allen, I am not trying to make fun of them. In 1996, the band had a contract dispute with their managers over who owned the name and Lonnie Jordan put together an all-new version of War while the rest of the members started the Lowrider Band. Both bands still tour playing these amazing songs. And guys, oh man, do I have an amazing guest today. Someone that I have been a fan of for years. Everybody knows from the Washington, D.C. area, uh, I have a true whiz kid here. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, and I'm honored to bring him on this show, is Karan Butler. Karan Butler is, in my opinion, an NBA legend. He's played in the NBA for 14 years. He played for the Heat, the Lakers. Uh, He won a championship with the Dallas Mavericks, but I could give a shit about the rest of those teams because he played for my Washington Wizards, a part of my favorite squad ever, which is Karan, Gilbert Arenas, and Antoine Jameson. I, I have stitches in my knee from celebrating a Wizards victory against the Milwaukee Bucks where, where Gilbert hit this last second shot. So when I found out that I could get him, it, it just blew my mind. Also, guys, Karan releases autobiography Tough Juice, My Journey from the Streets to the NBA, and is set to be a film produced by Mark Wahlberg. He's also got an incredible podcast called the Tough Juice Podcast. And, uh, In my opinion, Karam Butler is definitely in the running for most interesting man in NBA history. This means a lot to me, guys. So buckle up, kiddos. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 444 out of 5, honey, with The World is a Ghetto by War. Friend of mine, brr, 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 brr. fuck yeah, dude! One more time, on, Butler, now a friend of mine. Hit me, brr, 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 brr. dude! I'm gonna tell you right now, that was one of the first times somebody has joined in with accoutrements during that. <laughs> I, I do that, I guess, for what, like 50 episodes so far. People just stare at me, so
0: thank you. Look, I feel the vibe already, <laughs> there,
1: so I gotta, I gotta jump in. I love it. Tell me, tell me about uh, your experience with the band War. Like, how long back, how far back? Because I know I asked you to do this. I know you weren't, like, a huge yeah. fan, but what did you know about the
0: band War? I, honestly, I didn't know much. And uh, I heard the name uh, from some time before, and then my guy, Jeremiah, reached out to me. He was like, listen, you got to hear this album. Take it in. Absorb it. And, you know, I was just taken back, you know, because, you know, a band, you know, in the, the, the 60s and 70s, uh, original name, the creators, And then now to be, you know, uh, named Warren and and just what they impacted and what they was all about, you know, talking about soul, rhythm, jazz, combination of all things like it was special.
1: Yeah, this is like it. This is almost like they they, they're they're a collective of just different musicians, different ethnicities. Uh, I knew, I knew about like, uh, what was the song, you know, all my friends in the low ride. Like, that's what I knew. So what, what, how, what did you grow up listening to?
0: Oh man. Growing up, you know, I, I listened to, you know, a lot of Otis Ren. I listened to a lot of Sam Cooke. Oh wow. Uh, you know, growing up you know, listening to the, the temptations, uh, <sighs> man, Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5, everything, you know, in our household, you know, that's when, you know, it had you know the vinyl and the record player. So my yeah. grandmother always used to have dance-offs in the living room, and it was a small living room, but the kids used to come in and be like, dance to this, baby. And you know, it was just one of those things. But you were, know, you, were you a
1: big kid too? Yeah, were you yeah. like so you just I, knocking I, shit over. No, like I, I was he's trying to do the mashed potato, grandma. That's how the vase broke. He's <laughs> the, doing the Karan did the mashed potato. Yeah, the mashed potato didn't come out until the '90s, man. So shit,
0: we was doing some other stuff at that time. But it, it was it was special, man. And those like are my fondest memories.
1: Really? Yeah, it really is. What a, So she put all this music in front of you. Did you ever kind of go off and start listening to other stuff? Like, what age did you start finding your own musical taste?
0: Yeah, you know what? I think uh, Scarface and the Ghetto Boys. Oh, I think that is. introduced me to just uh, what I was going through. You know, because she was telling me her history through music and what she was going through at the time. So, like, in the 60s and 70s, talking about being raised in Columbus, Mississippi, growing up and working in the cotton fields and stuff like that. She identified with the messaging that was being told from these artists. Yeah. So now I identify immediately with Scarface and the Ghetto Boys. The world is yours. Talking about uh, what I seen every time I jumped off the porch, you know, crack sales, uh, you know, prostitution, the hustling, everything. Like, that's what I seen. And he was identifying with that and painting that picture. Yeah. What about now? What are you listening to now? Oh, man. I I got a wide range. (laughs) You talking about war? You talking about. Uh, you, I listen to old Blue Eyes sometimes. Sometimes I go stri- strictly classical. Sometimes I go current hip hop. You know, Post Malone or uh, J Cole, J J Z. Nah, yeah, it's dude. like I, I'm all over the place, man. You know, I I love just hearing good music and good content.
1: What were you listening to while you were at a UConn? Like what? What Tupac was Tupac
0: everything? Tupac everything? Yeah, Me Against the World. All eyes on me. Yeah, yeah. Just straight up, like I, I, I wanted to give it to people, hundred proof, no cut. You know I what I mean. So that. when I came on the court, like that was my disposition. Like nobody can fracture this wall that I built up around myself. Like I just.
1: So like, as you were like crossing somebody up in your head, you just hear, "Come,
0: Come with me, <laughs> <laughs> do <dee-ba-dou-ba-do-ba-dee.
1: laughs> This he <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. All that. I love that. I was feeling it. Yeah. All right. So, what did you think? About this record. I told you to listen to it because uh, I just wanted to sit down and talk to you because I'm such a huge fan. I said it as soon as you walked in. I, I was like, fair. oh my God, dude. I was like, because I was there. I was there when you played Milwaukee and, and Gilbert Arenas hit that game winning three. Still, still, to me, and I said this earlier, but I'm going to say this to all the, the Fleece Army out there. The most exciting year of my life was was, I think, uh, 2006 into 2007, where the Washington Wizards were arguably that was the greatest collection, in my opinion, of basketball players, because that was the first big three. Yeah. You Antoine and Gilbert. Uh, so, I was there when Gilbert hit the – it was just like a string of game-winning shots. You guys went to the playoffs. That's when Hibachi was born. That was when Hibachi was born. And that was – when that ended, that, that was like one of the saddest periods of my life. When you got shipped off, when Antoine left. Actually, Antoine stuck around. Gilbert stuck around for a second, and then they had to – yeah, something went down. And then they had to get rid of the whole team and dismantle it and start over. But it, it's just – an honor to be sitting here talking Respect, to you today brother. because I Thank fucking you. love you, man. All right, so I asked you to listen to this record. What'd you think about it?
0: I really liked it. I was I was in for a surprise because I'm a huge fan of, you know, beats and bass drum and melodies and, you know, like sometimes uh you think about the shaft introduction and uh some of the stuff that you used to hear from Stack Records, uh, it, it, it takes you to a place sometimes, you know, just the instrumentals like the long the dog uh breaths in 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 the music where you have like a minute of this like bass drum and you just get to feel that vibe and yeah i was vibing the entire time you know smoking my monte crisco just feeling it so you're you're
1: enjoying you know the album it's setting a vibe like what what does it bring up when you listen to it like what do you feel from from hearing this record
0: man i you i don't know you feel you feel happiness you feel pain you feel uh I don't know. It takes you on a a, a, a ride of emotions.
1: Yeah, because I mean, this is a it's. There is some fun stuff in it. Like you have Cisco Kid, which is just popping. That's my favorite song. Right? That's your favorite song off yeah. the album. Uh, I mean, the the one that really. Well, we'll get into the record in, in a second. But the ones that. I mean, Four Cornered Room is just slow and just sludgy and. It is just, it's like literally made for you to smoke pot and just like lay back and just chill too. And then you have you have the album is called The World is a Ghetto, which is kind of a, a statement on the band's part, you know, to to say that because, I mean, in a sense, you know, the world is some form of a ghetto. I mean, it's all over. It's where the band started, you know, and it, and it just brings up a lot of feelings for me. And I mean, to have a lot of their songs be these... These like, you know, eight to, to twelve minute jams. Mm. I mean, they're taking you through a journey throughout this whole thing. I, I say it's just a
0: vibe. It's just yeah. a vibe. Every song like you have to connect with and it's long enough for you to feel it. And you know, once you have those tones and the bass is dropping or the the drums is playing or whatever the case it's like it's forcing you to have that connection with that that song at the time.
1: Before we get into this week's episode, let's talk a little bit about Sonos for the holidays. If you're wondering what to get your friends and family for the holidays, or you just want to have that holiday party blowing up, the brilliant sound of Sonos is the answer for you. Play all your favorite holiday jams with a new home theater system. I put Sonos into my life about a year, and a, a little, little under a year ago. And it's made everything better. I have speakers in every room. I've got the subwoofer, so does that woof. I've got the Sonos Move, which is incredible because you can move the speaker wherever you want. And it sounds better than every other portable speaker on the market. It's insane. The clarity, the bass, I love it. Plus, they've got speech enhancement mode. It's a new, unique feature that clarifies the sound of the human voice. Perfect for when characters whisper on television or if the action intensifies. Turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a moment of the story. Or play all your favorite holiday jams when the TV is off. And guess what? Sonos works with Spotify and all the other streaming services. And you can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. It's the perfect gift. The gift of crystal clear sound. Go to Sonos.com to complete your holiday shopping. And now, back to the gushblookie. All right, let's dive into the record. Our album is number 444 out of 500. It's the fifth studio album, The World is a Ghetto, by the band War. It was released in November 1972, produced by Jerry Goldstein, Lonnie Jordan, and Howard E. Scott. you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there. This is like like for both of us, this was our first foray into the band war. And I gotta say, a fantastic introduction. I really feel like I was experiencing something completely different. Alright, so the album opens with the Cisco Kid. Alright, Peter, play uh the opening verse. Let's go. Catchy. it just—you can't not like. Like, it makes me want to get into like a lowrider car and just drive down Crenshaw right now and just go to fucking Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and get a get an Obama <laughs> special. Now, this was the second single from the album, and it also became the band's highest-charting song, reaching number two in May of '73. Guitarist Howard Scott, who came up with the idea for this one, wanted to sing about an ethnic hero that people of color could admire and relate to. While most TV and movie cowboys were white, The Cisco Kid was a popular TV show and series and movies in the 50s that featured The Cisco Kid and his partner Poncho, who were two lead Mexican characters. Along with the song's catchy harmonica and saxophone riff, drummer Harold Ray Brown based his drum technique on Sam and Dave's song, I Thank You, by playing along the rim of the snare drum. Um, Yeah, I guess I can kind of hear that. I mean, it's so funky, I love it. Uh, Now, the Cisco Kid was introduced as a criminal in the original 1907 story written by O. Henry, but he went on to be portrayed as more of a folk hero. Now, I want to turn this back to you. Growing up in Racine, Wisconsin, you had 15 arrests before you were 15 years old. So you were uh, clearly fucking up and on the wrong path. Say that again.
0: What was your turning point? I think my ultimate tournament, turning point for me was, I, I hate to say it, but corrections. And, you know, getting incarcerated at a time where so much was happening, and I think it forced me to identify my trauma. You know, what I've been through, what I, what's broken me to this point that make me behave the way that I was behaving, and how I needed to change a lot of my ways. You know what I mean? So that's where I was at with it. And when I got incarcerated, like, I pivoted out that space and just tried to be a better version of myself going forward. So it's some shit I had to address for real. What was that What
1: was that first arrest? Not the first. Well, what was the first arrest, and then what was the last
0: one? Let's see. I want to see the difference. Uh, disorderly conduct. Uh, what were had, you doing? Yeah, just. What were you doing? Always running from the police, always getting into – well, shit, but well, they,
1: Obviously you had to do something wrong if you were running Were you just running like shit the cops
0: <laughs> yeah, Because you know it was always like Neighborhood dudes always sitting out at the corners Like statues right yeah. So you get lottery tickets and stuff like that And they always assumed that I was older than what I was You know I was 11 years old I was already probably scratching the surface of five, 5'11 five, Closer to 6 foot Yeah. So they just treated me like a dog immediately Like that's what they identified me as And uh I used to always run. Like, I wasn't going to sit around and tell my story and, you know, bank on the police having favor. You know what I mean? Like, I just took off. Like, I'm not – so fleeting in the loon was my thing. Plus,
1: you're you're about <laughs> 6 feet, 11 years old. You're fucking you, – yeah. you, you can't hide. Yeah, I ain't got a shot. <laughs> like, I ain't got a shot. All right. Uh, nobody's over I mean, here. Wait. Is that is that a big ass black dude behind that street sign? Yeah, I see that motherfucker.
0: Cuff him up. What was the What was the last one? What was the last one that got you incarcerated? Uh, the last one that got me incarcerated was uh, I got caught with a thirty two revolver on school grounds at Racine Unified and a little bit over an ounce and a half of hard hard rock cocaine. Oh wow! Yeah, I was I was I was jacked up to sell poison like that and to see the effect that it has on people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I even was selling drugs to, like, you know, cousins and shit like that. Like, so I was, like, ruthless with it. So now that I've seen the impact and the effect, like, that's why I think I even go above and beyond sometimes to kind of change that narrative and try to yeah. help out and try to be an influence. Do you, Positive. Do you feel guilty about it still? Or or yeah, yeah. I feel very guilty because I know I've sold so much that, you know, I felt like I owed a lot you know yeah. on them streets like i was out there so like those streets that i sold a lot of drugs on like i try to go back and enhance as much as possible
1: yeah but like cisco you've gone on to earn a lot of respect and a lot of acclaim what was the first stable job you had uh after you know being incarcerated
0: uh after being incarcerated i think working at Burger king I think that was the first. Fuck
1: yeah, a little BK yeah, Lounge, man. dude. Have it your way. What were you doing? What, were, you, were you on the counter? You can't put a big motherfucker on the counter. Ain't nobody going to order. Yeah. Like, I ain't going in there. They you want to head over to Hardee's? Because that motherfucker <laughs> working the register is scary as fuck. It's like, honey, there's a hair in my, my whopper. Should I say something? I'm not going up
0: there. You going to tell him that's fucked up? I ain't doing it. Hey, it was crazy. I had a, I had a bracelet <laughs> on at the time, too, so I was, on, I was on house arrest. Fuck yeah. But I only got out. To work. Yeah. So I was at the cash register at some points, and (laughs) it was a really jacked up feeling because people walk in and, you know, sometimes you have to leave from behind the counter and they see the bracelet on your leg. It was just like some weird shit. Oh, I
1: bet. All right. After this song's popularity the band got to meet and hang out with Duncan Reynaldo, who played the Cisco kid at his home in Camarillo, California. His wife, however, made sure to let the band know that contrary to their song, Reynaldo did not drink whiskey or wine. Now, while coming up as a Laker, you met and hung out with the, you know, the man himself, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and now he's executive producing on your biopic, the 2015 autobiography, tough juice. Uh, how did that relationship get to where it is now?
0: It's it's crazy because he was courtside at a basketball game, of course, and people always
1: was the Funky Bunch there as well. No, just him, just and him his, one of his
0: guys, and I think you know Lev or some of the producers that he usually rode with, and I just identified him. I was always a fan of his mu uh, of his music and obviously him as an actor. So I just went up to him and just like, "Hey man, you know, come to the locker room in the back. I, you know, I want to show you something afterwards." And he actually showed up. You know what I mean? And yeah, dude, if
1: a dude if 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 a fucking all star (laughs) invites you to a game, you not just to a game to the to the locker room, you go. I love how you're shocked Mm -hmm. about that. It's like that's that's like if, if you if I was sitting courtside. And the worst scrub on the Washington Wizards was like, yo, we're going to a diner after the mm-hmm. game. You want to come? I'd be like, I'm, I'm there. I'll leave right now and get us a table. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, I am there, bro. But so, all right, so he came back. And then how did you guys get to talking to where you guys are working
0: together? Yeah, That, that, that was the connection right there. You know, me just identifying him in real time while I'm at work playing yeah. and him coming back. And he invited me to the set of uh, two guns. Him and Denzel Washington was him. Nice. He was like, hey, come uh." the set two days from now and I was like oh shit I actually got a day off and I went out all the way in like Santa Anita or some stuff can you I was in Westchester, yeah and we just connected from there and we just start building and I showed him what I was working on and he loved it he was like let me let me read it first before you let anybody else see it dope and he just like yo let's do a partnership a sign on I love it and we I want to see this thing come to life so it was just a it was a great connection it was a great partnership from the jump and you know we've been cool for you know four or five years. Oh, he's the man, dude. He's yeah. the
1: man. Like he just seems like a cool dude. Um, but so but going off of that because now you're an executive producer of like a film. Did you always plan to see a life beyond basketball,
0: or was it always just about balling, and then the rest came from it? It was never about just basketball. It was always about you know my family, about you know legacy, about creating. You know, first generational riches and eventually generational wealth. Like, I I looked at, you know, some of the things that my grandparents taught me, uh, specifically my grandmother. When she came up from the cotton fields in Mississippi, she always said, ownership is everything, baby. You know, own own your house, own some land, you know, um, and try to, you know, empower this family and try to put them in position where they're able to be a better version of themselves. So that's how I always thought.
1: Dude. I need to get like some financial advice from Grandma. Is she' out. She does she, yeah. she still she's still here. Yes. All right. Set up a meal at Burger King, and we'll uh, me and her. She'll she'll look at my portfolio, and we'll go from there. All right. Let's go into the next track. Uh, where was you at, uh, Peter? Play the chorus. Dude, this song is funky as fuck. That's all I wrote. This song is funky as fuck. There are some moments in it that I really, really enjoy. They flip the groove around, or they go to this like strange key change that's that completely threw me off as a listener. Uh, but it, it makes you feel like you're finding yourself at an intersection between New Orleans, where like four other different bands are all crossing. Amongst one another.
0: Uh, thoughts on the song? Yeah, you know what i I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts on the where were Where were you at? Where were you at? Where yeah. was you at? Yeah, like what What was you feeling in that moment? Well,
1: when I was listening to it, first of all this this album reminded me a lot of we did maggot brain by funkadelic have you ever listened to that okay have you ever listened I to it, that album? I All right, i'm gonna send it to you please, you, you please. have to listen to this record it's one of the funkiest rockiest it's just so perfect so this song reminds me of a song from that record called can you what is it can i can you get to that i think that's what it's called either way they they just have that same feel do you know what i mean now now where was you at like, it could mean a million different things. Um, I think, you know, if I'm gonna take it to where where I'm at now, I think it's about, you know, where was your head at? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm a person that, that really, like, you know, used to live inside his ego, and I used to just, I couldn't, like, sitting here talking to you, I wouldn't be able to be here with you i was I was like thinking about like does he like me? Am I being this? am I being that? You know I have to do this, I got to pay the i r s whatever the fuck it was that's That's kind of what I think they're saying from this song like where were you at in your in in your head now I might be wrong. what do you think? I think
0: evolving I think evolving as a person, and I identify what you're saying, and also I think of songs like the big Payback and stuff like yeah. that when I hear th- those tunes, and I'm like. I, I take it a different I take it a lot of different ways. Like when I hear phrases, I'm like, Okay, maybe where were you at went like like uh Drake said, you wasn't with me shooting in the gym. Yeah. Like that's that's how I took it like immediately, like, where were you at? And then all of a sudden I was, you know, thinking about it in a more positive way where, you know, I brought it back to myself. Like, how was I thinking? Was I thinking prematurely? Was I was, you know, not, you know, educated enough to be in the moment of this situation, as you stated. So it, it, I took it in so many different ways, but it was it was definitely just an eye opener to hear that that phrase right there to make me think differently.
1: Sure. All right. Are you a gambling man?
0: I I, I will gamble. So
1: you'll gamble. All right. Uh, how many times do you think they say "Where was you at" in the song? Let's see. Uh, I'll go. I <laughs> He's like, I would. say said it the first time. Then there was a second. It's over seventy. Over seventy no no 28 28 28 you owe me uh $5,000 we didn't decide (laughs) on it all right lyrically this is pretty much a yearning plea searching for that special someone that will save the singer uh speaking of saving recently uh we had found out that your daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and in the typical quran butler fashion you've set your sights on researching for a cure Where are you at with that journey to find the cure? I want you to tell the Fleece Army and all the Spotify listeners how we can
0: help. I mean, just supporting and, you know, bringing awareness. Uh, I found out that my daughter was, you know, type 1 diabetic uh, March 7th uh, this past year. And it it turned our world upside down because, you know, she lost a a ton of weight. Yeah. Uh, She was super lethargic. We go to a routine doctor appointment with the pediatrician know at 10 o'clock a.m. thinking we're going to be out by no later than 20 minutes later so ten twenty, yeah. and then we are rushed off in the ambulance to ICU and we spend the next you know two weeks in ICU trying to figure out like how we're going to deal with this situation going for- forward it's a fraternity that you don't want to be a part of yeah. but it's something that you have to embrace and you know, just try to help. And I, I, I really do hate the fact sometimes when people are not informed enough to make assessment on diabetes. People always say that it's, it's the way you eat or whatever the case may be. In my daughter's case, she had an immune system problem, and her, her pancreas was underperforming since her birth, and it was something that triggered it that forced, it, forced something from her DK units and things like that to, you know, bleed into her, her blood system, and it, it kind of just offset her. So she was literally dying in front of us. So if we oh. wouldn't have addressed that issue and would have just kind of stayed the course for probably another year or so. She'd be gone. She'd be in a tough situation, yep. you know, fighting for her life. Yeah.
1: So so where how can we help? Like, what can we do? What can the listeners do to, like, help you get to your ultimate goal, which is finding a cure for this? Yeah, we're
0: raising money for it. You know, JDRF Foundation, uh, we we donate money for, you know, experiments to to find different ways to you know, help enhance the treatment for diabetes, and she now has a, a Dexcom on her arm that, you know, I can look at on my Apple phone at any time, any given time. That you is know, when insane. She, <laughs> when <laughs> she go like, low, her getting, levels go low. Oh, wow, able yeah. To read everything, and that's important because you know, um, they're putting a lot of research in it, and I think that, you know, within, and I always talk to these doctors, and different doctors say the same thing, but within the next five to ten years it's going to be a cure because they're getting down to the grit and to the meat and potatoes of what the problem is and what can possibly trigger these things and yeah. how they can reverse it. Nice. Yeah. All right, so, where,
1: so just give the foundation wherever we can donate to. Say it again? Yeah,
0: the JDRF Foundation.
1: Dude, everybody, Fleece Army, Cadougals, get out there, throw money that way, all right? Thank you. All right, next song, City, Country, City. Uh, so first, there is this brief Family Ties theme song sounding intro. Then it kicks in uh, to what I think sounds like every chase scene from any exploitation movie in the 70s. Peter, uh, play a little bit of that.
0: Great song. Any thoughts on it? Yeah, I. you know, immediately when I heard that, I was thinking about Truck Tucker. Truck Tucker, remind me. It's a, it's a, Isaac Hayes was in the movie. He was like the main uh, feature guy. and You know, the introductions used to be like, like you said, the chase scenes. Yeah. And they'll go on for like four minutes, where this, that music, just be taking you. Be like, man, is he gonna catch him, dude? Come on, soul brother, like, he ju- yeah, going. He jumps from <laughs> one
1: building to the next, and like, know all just of a sudden, come- the brother from the hood knew karate. All of a sudden, <laughs> something
0: like, you know, that's what that was the thing. Like everybody wanted to know karate, like Dolomite. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. You're gonna see him, like, nah, man,
1: come on, cool breeze, leave me alone. I'd- all right,
0: I'll tell you, it was Rick Ross. Rick
1: Ross been doing it. He been doing this dirty. All right, you go ahead. And then he starts having sex, and that's the beginning of the song. Oh, I love it. So there are so many amazing parts in this song, uh, from the lyrical, uh, harmonica-driven cha-cha near the beginning to the wicked organ and the Latin percussion jams. Uh, Love this song. Now, you've played for a bunch of different teams in a bunch of different cities, uh, which must have been very instrumental in your growth. What city has taught you the most?
0: You know what? I've took a little... It's almost like gumbo. Like, I took a little bit of the ingredients from every city and yeah. liked a lot. Like, uh, the versatility of culture, uh, the real diverse culture in D.C. taught me a lot. It, it was an eye-opener because <laughs> people don't realize, like, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, right? But my area in Wisconsin, if that's where the 6% African-American community was, black and brown, yeah. I mean, it was... All right there in racing. So I that's all I seen was, you know, my people, my culture. And then I went from that and went to prep school at MCI. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was my first introduction to being the three percent of the African American community that was right there on that campus because, you know, Maine was predominantly white, Caucasian. And you can call us white. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say Caucasian. You don't don't
1: have to PC it up. We're white. Yeah. We're white motherfuckers.
0: (laughs) So like I, it got diver- more diverse the more I moved on. From Connecticut, then, then to Miami, you know, you seeing mm-hmm. Latinos, everything. And then you go to L.A. where you just see <laughs> fucking everything. And then D.C., then I saw more of our culture, then I went to Dallas, and then it just, you know, so it was a combination of all things. Like, I think it built me for all the things that I do now, for television, for radio, yeah. for podcasts, everything, because – I'm able to talk from a real perspective from... Uh, uh, I can see the whole landscape of everything And I can kind of embody and embrace it To the best of my ability and talk about it From an sure. educated point of view
1: Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's
0: that going? Do you get
1: 2020 Well welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 Where myself, Benny Goodman And my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin From the band Lost Symphony also got 2020 And since the world ended this year We decided why not just check in with some of our friends In the music industry and see how everyone's doing We're
0: going to get a candid look at life On and off the stage as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry.
1: New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.
0: Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. What, what city challenged you the most? Uh, I think uh, D.C. Why is that? Because expectations was different. You know, it really was. Like, I think L.A. and D.C. Because uh, uh, L.A. For, from a basketball standpoint is because I played with possibly the greatest player ever to play the game basketball. Kobe, Kobe Bryant? Bryant. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when he's that good <laughs> and everybody else, like, you have to raise your level. You know what I mean? So, from a basketball standpoint, it challenged me. In D.C., it challenged me from a basketball standpoint, but more so from a culture standpoint because you was a guy that the kids identified with in this community, so you was held to a different standard. And I felt like my purpose was probably bigger than ever there in Washington, most powerful city in the world, and I understood that. I understood that, you know, we was on a huge stage and. I recognize that, and I try to maximize that platform to try to inspire kids, yeah, dude, it just I just made me think like
1: like we got you for Kwame Brown, <laughs> no disrespect, Kwame, but you fucking like that was that's the thing is that i if you're saying we put a lot of expectations on you, we got you for nothing. <laughs> if you would have scored three points every five games, we would have been like, yeah, that's perfect that that was it's still better than Kwame. I'm sorry, Kwame, if you're listening, which I'm, you're probably not.
0: All right. <laughs> it's sad though, because I told my, my my lawyer and my agent, Raymond Brothers, at the time, he said, yo, you can you can you know trade it. It's going to be a sign trade, they're gonna, you know, max you out at your number. And I was like, oh shit, I'm happy. I was like, who who am I gonna trade it for? They was like, Kwame Brown. I was like, damn, who else? Like who else doing? <laughs> no, no, for real. I kept no knock the Kwame, but I kept asking that. I was like, they're draft picks. They were like, <laughs> "It like, was like, no, like, bitch, cup check, trade you for cup." Comp- I was like, "That was dumb as hell." Like, I was just like, "Whoa, like, how could he do that?" Like, I was like, "Yo, Washington winning." Oh, a hundred percent, we won. Because I just didn't see it. You know, I knew Kwame was a good dude, but I just like, I just don't see it. All right, four cornered room. This is one of
1: my favorite songs oh, yeah. on the record. And like I said before, if you haven't listened to this song yet. Smoke a bowl or a joint or whatever. Take some mushrooms and put this shit on. Peter, play a little bit of it for me. I love everything about this song. I love this this funky, just crawling groove, the the wild percussion, all the weird sound effects, and then when you get those backing chants of the zoom, zoom, zoom mm-hmm. with a little bit of flang on the spoken word shit. I mean, it is a perfect song, in my opinion, because this is one that I really connected with. Any thoughts?
0: Grown folks music. Oh, you don't think you don't think this is kids will get into this? Yeah, I, I just think it's grown folks' music. You got to be an in depth thinker to you know listen to this right here. Yeah, it's talking about being in that space, man, where you just you vibing. I don't know what you're into, whether you're, you're into your wine or your Sasakaya, your, your reasoning Sasakaya. You, That's whatever.
1: the first time anybody said that word yeah, on this whatever, podcast. Whatever you're
0: drinking, man, you got to go into that place, man, and this vibe, man. There's layers to it's layers to zoning out and being in the vibe, but this will take you to that place. Do you feel like
1: you can? this could be something that makes its way into your rotation?
0: Oh, yeah. It already has. It's Perfect. on my collection. I, I put that on my playlist. Perfect.
1: All right. So this is about uh, understanding and misunderstanding. That's what this song is about. Okay, now you've had to deal with misunderstandings and conflict in your life. Uh, Some you've taken responsibility for, but there have also been a few that happened indirectly around you. Uh, One was an infamous card game that got out of hand and really broke up. Probably my favorite Mm -hmm. thing ever. Uh,
0: Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it was tough, man. You know, Wait, I, I, fill everybody in.
1: So well, about what had happened, because yeah. I mean, I, I'm still not even clear on it.
0: Man, we are coming back from a West Coast trip, and you know, this is the Washington Wizards. The yeah. Washington Wizards coming back from a West Coast trip, and uh, you know, it was a card game going on with uh, I, I forget the players at the time. Javale McGee, I know Gilbert Arenas, uh, Jarvis, J- Javaris Creighton. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to forget who the fourth player was at the time. But what are they playing? And, I think Boo ray or Tunk, okay. of, yeah, I know, you know Tunk. I, I think the I think the pot was at like a G or something. You know, I it, it wasn't nothing heavy. Yeah. It, nothing for what happened going forward, uh, cost him. But all you just remember was the commotion and, you know, Javar's wanting his money. And, you know, I I never forget like, you know, the whole discussion of, you know, I don't play, I don't fight, I play with guns and that whole scenario and you know, fast forward, it led to, you know, guys having guns in the locker room the next morning. And, you know, from Javaris and Gilbert Arenas. And, you know, it was just a, a tough situation because, one, you know, it was two really good dudes. You know, nobody – I mean, once you're in the NBA, you know, we're making millions of dollars. Nobody's about, you no know, street shit at this point. You know, yeah. everybody's trying to provide for their family. And, you know, it was a day. In, in 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 the history of sports like and definitely in our lives and everybody that was a part of that team that just kind of altered everything forever. Yeah. So so how did how did that
1: feel though then to to have such a good thing like broken up because that was it. That was that was the beginning of the end of of that Washington Wizards team.
0: It, it was it was tough for many reasons because I knew um Javaris was a good person. And I played with Gilbert longer than me. Gilbert, Antoine, Brendan Haywood was was the longest-tenured wizard, Wizards at the time and had the strongest connections, so I knew that Gilbert was a good dude, too. Like, he was scoring for schools. He was doing all this stuff in the community. Like, I think that, you know, when you talk about his philanthropic work and what he's done f- to help people be better, it, it, it doesn't get talked about enough. So, I, I felt bad for him. You know, I felt bad for everyone involved um uh, it was just a it was really just a fucked up day. It was a fucked up day that you know, that changed the uh, the landscape of a lot of people's lives. You look at Javaris right now. He's in jail, right? He's in jail for for uh, murder. Murder, yeah. Yeah. You look at Gilbert's situation and he was able to rebound because but it took so long. Yeah. It, it took so long for Gilbert to, you know, finally get that I, I feel like that, that 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 black sheep cast well, I, I mean, the guy, the
1: guy him. a couple games later, he hits like a three and then starts, you know, flashing the gun signs, which you're just like, dude, it's like, I mean, it, but, it, it just it was for was. me, it was, I know, I, I know, Jelpshire. he was Jelpshire. so funny and yeah. he was the way that like the, with all the nicknames, the Agent Zero, the Hibachi, I mean, in my opinion, he's still my, he's my favorite sports figure yeah. uh, it, since I've been alive. You know, so I could imagine. Like, what was that like that morning? When, when, like, who brought
0: pulled it out first? Like, do you remember any of that? That you know what, I, I do. I remember everything keenly. But I, you know, I told Gilbert when I had the discussion with him. You know, years later after my book and stuff came out, he was hurt that every time he continues to do something successful in life or he builds some momentum, they bring that up. They bring the gun thing up. So, as a brother of his, you know, not. Not that I'm not okay with talking about it or telling the truth. Yeah. I just think that it's his, it's his story to tell. Sure. You know what I mean? So I let him tell it. We're trying to get him on, too. <laughs> I want Gilbert <laughs> on so bad. All right. Let's take
1: that into uh, the title track on the record, uh, which is, honest to God, my my favorite song on this record, The World is a Ghetto. Uh, so the four minute edit of this ten minute masterpiece was the first single from the album, and to me, I think this song is the reason that the album is on the five hundred. Uh, play a little bit of it, Peter is love, to be sure. I mean, this song is perfect. It's just a perfect song. I love the wah-wah pedal, uh, Howard Scott's guitar intro, (laughs) which was great. It's just a thing of beauty. Now, according to drummer Harold Brown, the idea came from percussionist Papa D. Brown, that's a good name, after the band had spent some time in the more exclusive and wealthy areas of L.A. like Malibu and Hollywood. Uh, They realized that their toilets still backed up and their fancy cars still broke down, too. And to them, those experiences were their ghettos. Basically what he's saying is the ghetto perspective also meant that anyone could still achieve happiness regardless of material possessions as long as one was a positive force. And as Brown said, through that song, what we're really trying to say, you can be successful as long as you do unto each other as you're supposed to do. Be a good neighbor, get out, and do the best you can. So even though the cycle of poverty that many minorities in the ghettos found themselves unable to escape was real, there was still a layer of hope that love and home could still bring happiness wherever one lived. That's beautiful. It's now heavy. you you found your way out of heavy circumstances and you've given back in a big way. What advice would you give to a young person who is currently in the same position you were in at their age?
0: Uh Identify your traumas, man. Like, really address the generational curses of what you've gone through. And I think that this song says it all. You know, it's not about symbolic trophies. It's not about anything like that. It's about really uh, just being the best possible version of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you, your audience of one. You play to that. You kind of march to that beat. And I think that's what got me through my hardest times. I thought about the disappointing things that I've done, and this is me talking to my younger self, I thought about the disappointing things I've done within my family, uh, what I put my family through, the people that love me most, and saw the good in me when I couldn't see the good in myself, my mother, my grandmother, the strong women of my family, my aunts, and I always, you know, kind of move forward as if they watch it very closely. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's how I police myself. You know, even when I get kind of jaded, you know, when you you're making, you know, these astronomical figures doing something you love and, you know, your your, your work don't even seem like work anymore. But that's how I humble myself. I'm like, I still got to move like with, sure. that, with that presence. Sure. You know what I mean? Of course. So I would tell anybody that's trying to move forward, like, stay true to your mission not to the goals because the goals should be checkpoints and like you 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 you'll meet a lot of your goals you check that shit off keep moving but stay true to that mission yeah and you know move forward
1: let's talk about you were talking about uh you know material stuff uh so this this kind of goes back and forth between the album and, and what I want to ask you but the cover of the album is it features a rolls royce type car in the ghetto now many successful people rush out and fill their garages with luxury cars and you do have a seriously comfortable one but only one right yeah uh how do you maintain that kind of self discipline when they're throwing that much money at you because
0: i think i think about my children you know i think about some of the things that i want them to have and things that i want them to have access to yeah and you know shit i uber half of the places i go anyway so what I, even i mean I you do. better get an
1: uber xl yeah
0: i uber every motherfucker you yeah, can't get in, you
1: can't get into it oh, like I, a little like a ford uber lux. fiesta uber lux. yeah dude yeah. you gotta do lux
0: but like <laughs> i don't i don't even drive so what what's the point of having all these trophies and you know and shit you having you know a million dollars worth cars just to show people you can buy it i mean they know you can buy it. They see how hard you work. And, yeah. But I think that the true I mean, things, shit, dude,
1: ESPN puts your goddamn <laughs> contract up on the fucking, Everything. They put everything. They buy out, whatever it is.
0: I so, think people are more impressed with, like, self-discipline, though. I think people, if you're able to discipline yourself when, when no one's looking, just like when you're able to put in that sweat equity and that hard work when yeah. no one's looking, like, that's what people, like, respect to the fullest. And that's what I try to, you know. Kind of hold myself accountable to. Uh, so, do you think possessions have meaning then? Uh, I don't. I mean, it it depends. Like, sometimes possession has, you know, I'm able to buy this. Like me, me psychologically knowing that I'm able to buy something, it it kind of like let me know that I'm accomplishing or I'm on on the road to where I needed to go. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's kind of like almost where people recognize you for your work and for your your craft like people like oh shit i i saw the your piece what you did with master p that's pretty dope i'm like that's something that i've created in my head an interview that of questions that we sit down with our production team and we come up with and then now it lives in a universe forever yeah people appreciate your work so to to your point like possessions is you know kind of similar to that where it's like it's just a something that you want, want it at some point. You appreciate, but it's not something that you like saying, like I'm better than someone else just because I have this.
1: Yes, shit. I there's I, I have this belief, and I read this in in a book about Vendanto, which is this old religion, and it's very Buddhist, where it's saying like you can you. Well, it says wanting is like the cause of all of our our pain. It's like you know, well, I see this guy's got that, I want that, and there's nothing wrong. With getting those things, but just know that they're never going to make you a better person. And if you're doing something, you are going to buy it because, like, I want a Porsche. So for my next car, I'm going to get a Porsche and McCann. You know, I can afford it because I've always wanted one. But I'm not doing it to impress people. I'm doing it because that's a goal that's that I, I set as a little kid. I'm saying, I'm going to get a Porsche. Now, I want a 911, but I can't get one now. Yeah, so do. I'm going to get the McCann. <laughs> that's what I'm saying.
0: I, that's why I love, you know, coal so much, too. Uh, J. Cole, he yeah. he touched about some things where it's always gonna be somebody with more. Like more money, bigger house, more cars. So so like you can't play the competition of that game. It's always a bigger fish in that water. But you know, if you just play the the thing of this being a better version of you and competing against you, yeah. Like that's I think that's that's what it is.
1: Uh all right. Let's move on to the final song on the record Beatles in the Bog i love this song it's got these like soaring gang vocals and this tribal marching band rhythm that makes this song perfect paid i play a little bit hey! I think this song is about getting back to nature, uh, which is kind of refreshing after a record that's decidedly rooted in the urban experience. Uh, I could see you were bopping along to this one. You like this one? Yeah, a little bit. Fuck yeah, dude. Not
0: one of my favorites, though, but All I right. still vibe with it. Uh,
1: let's take it about uh, getting back to nature. What is it like being part of a team and working
0: together? It's It's, it's challenging because... You, you have different personalities. Do you know how hard it is to and, – and this is why some of these coaches, you talked about Eddie Jordan being there with the – Love winners. Daddy. Yeah, but – My dog. Yeah. Pat Riley, <laughs> Phil Jackson. And all, the, the reason – and Rick Carlisle, all the guys, like the reason why they're so great because they're able to bring in that camaraderie and, and still be able to manage the personalities of super big egos. S-
1: super egos, dude. I mean, that's why I think Phil Jackson's probably the greatest coach of all time because he's had the egos of all egos because yeah. he's had the, arguably the two greatest basketball players ever. And that's really, uh, in a sense, what it is. So when is it serious and then when is it fun? Like, you know, when is it serious to be part of a team?
0: I just I just want the average Joe to sit around who, who's listening to this right now. You know how you ball up a sheet of paper and you throw it in the trash can and, you know, you got four people watching. They'd be like, oh, shit, that was a good shot. Yeah. You know that feeling you got? Take that shit and just put it on a trillion. That's the that's the <laughs> ego of some of your biggest sports athletes.
1: The number you have reached is 100.7 W M M S. It wasn't just a radio station; it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. Down. Down. down the wrath of the buzzer. W M M S. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Oh, I was, I was, at, the, I was at the Clippers uh, Raptors game the other night and somebody was shooting a free throw. I was a little stoned, but I, I, re- I leaned over to my friend and I was like, could you do that? And he was just like, yeah, I probably could do it. I go, no, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. That many people screaming at you? Like of course, and that's after you hit a few of those shots, you do start, and and then you become consistent at it. I can imagine
0: how big these egos are. It's different, bro. It's that, like the 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 easiest routine play is the hardest thing. I just did a thing with Bleacher Report where I went out to the Rams practice and I try to catch some uh, punt returns. Yeah, how'd that go? Yeah. <laughs> shit, shit was crazy right so I'm out there and my, I got my kids so I shouldn't have brought my kids with me you know because I want to be a superhero with my yeah. kids and shit man I was everything but that you know what I mean ball hit me all in the chest go to the yeah. ball I'm like this shit hurt you know what, <laughs> what I'm like, saying Like, what is <laughs> your daughter's <laughs> like reach out grab the fucking ball dad. dad it's right there I'm like shit I'm losing it Like, I'm looking up and I'm losing the ball in the sunlight everything so what seems so simple, it, it really is in yeah, sports, and you learn that relatively quick. And just like going up and stepping up and just shooting something as simple as a free throw. It's free, right? But yeah. it's not that free. Like, it takes con- a ton of concentration in the moment. And a lot of people don't like to be, even though you play in, fr- in front of millions, a lot of people don't like to be in that on that island at that time. And that's why they, you know, They nerves. They get the best of them, and they shoot the ball a little bit too hard in those moments. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Because you you brought this up,
1: and I was going to ask you this off. But, all right, so take me back to, uh, I think it was the elimination game between the Cavaliers and the Wizards. Gilbert Arenas is standing at the free throw line, uh, and he misses one shot, and then LeBron comes up and whispers something. Do you know what
0: LeBron said to Gilbert. Hey, yeah, he said, if "You missed this. You know, it's over, right?" Oh, and um, and Gilbert, one of the you know biggest clutch, clutch players in uh, the history of the game, he he looked over at him like, like who the fuck is this dude talking to me? Like yeah. Lebron wasn't quite Lebron yet, not yet, yeah. But he was just like, like who this young boy talking to me? Like like dude, I'm hibachi. Like, I'm about to make both Major of these zero. Things. Yeah, and then all, you know, boom. And I, I looked. I was like, wait a minute. Like, shit, he missed that. <laughs> and then it just didn't like, you know how, like, you're in a moment. I, I can't describe it, but I've been in so many moments in sports. Like, uh, we won championships. We lost playoffs. We, like, where something just ain't right. Like, everybody else is just cheering and in awe of the momentum of whatever happening, but I'm like in a moment, and I'm like, this shit don't feel right. Like for some reason, what usually or should happen right now is not going to happen. Yeah, and I felt like those free throws was not going in when he did that. I you knew like, it, and I wanted to like, and I, I, I'll never forget. I was right there to the right of Gilbert. I wanted to be like, hey, fuck what he said. Yeah, make the shot. Like, but yeah. I was just like, oh, he good. He's and Gilbert. Then, yeah, and then I looked. I was like, holy shit! Like, it's happening, and He's everybody just, just stuck. Fuck.
1: I get it. You want to do some facts and get out of here? Let's do it. All right. Uh,
0: the facts are
1: the facts. Here's the facts. All right, that's enough. All right. After being released in 1972, The World is a Ghetto was the best-selling album of 1973 over classics by Stevie Wonder, David Bowie, The Rolling Stones, Elton John, and Neil Young, just to name a few. Wow. Damn. What's the best career moment you've ever had? Was it was it when you were with damn whiz? Sorry, I had to say It, <laughs> it, it,
0: it, it it's too like when you talk about from a basketball standpoint, I would say uh, you know, my tenure with the Wizards, um, uh, individually winning uh going to the All Star Games, um and then my time with the Dallas Mavericks winning the championship. I think like they go hand in hand just because they had a huge uh, part and the significance of, on my life because it was two things that I was told I'd never be able to accomplish. So both of those things. Who is telling you that? You know they. You know all the motherfuckers yeah. out there that you know think that you can't. You you can go through adversity and you can't rise from that that that, that situation. So when you when you come up out of it, it's, it's kind of similar. To, you see stories like Nate Robinson. He's too short to play. You know like who, who like why why you fuck you think I can't play at a high level just cuz I'm short. Like that don't mean that, you know, I'm unable to, you know, compete at a high level and compete harder. like and they do all these tests and these things about speed, quickness, agility, explosiveness, but they never they never gauge and, you know, uh you know, do an x-ray on people's hearts. Yeah. You know, if you got a big heart, you got a huge desire. To this, oh, it, put, impose your will on a situation, that shit happens.
1: I, dude, I can't tell you, like, it's not about, it, as you can take it from the entertainment standpoint, being a comedian. It's not about how talented you are. It's about how hard you work. There are people that are not talented at all that are making millions of dollars mm. because they got that hustle. They got that drive, and they're not going to let anybody stop them. You know, so I completely understand that. Um, what was that like to to finally win that championship with Dallas, though? Yeah, man, it was great. It was, great. That was one of the best series, man. That Like, so fun to watch, especially even as a Wizards fan. You, you, everybody was rooting for you guys.
0: I think so, too. I really do because they didn't want us to leave Washington 1, and then when they seen some of their favorite uh, Washington Wizards. You and four, Haywood, right? And, and Deshaun. Deshaun, Deshaun
1: dude. dude. Yeah. Dude, I love Deshaun, dude. Uh, did he have, like, an Abraham Lincoln tattoo on his neck? Yeah, man, don't give me a an <laughs> that's
0: my That's my brother right there. I love Deshaun, Deshaun dude. Crazy. That man. motherfucker
1: was, he was, dude, he bald, dude. Yeah. He, he, honest to God, was like, I think he was that one of those final pieces that made your team so
0: good. He's one of the most authentic uh, personalities and people. Uh, like, I, I think that he's so mature to the point where if you see Deshaun right now, and I haven't seen him since the big three, but – before that, it was like two and a half, three years. Your love and your energy pick up exactly where it left off. You know what I'm saying? So he's, he's, he's just like one of those dudes, man. He's a brother, and I dig that. All right. While on tour with Eric
1: Burden in London on September 18, 1970, they were joined on stage at Ronnie Scott's Club by Jimi Hendrix for 35 minutes at the end of their second set. Jimmy died the next day making that his last live performance. That is insane. Damn. Uh if you could bring back any historical figure to play one-on-one basketball or have a shoot around with, who would it be? Bob Marley. Bob Marley?
0: Yeah, hands down. Uh why do you why do you love Bob so much? Besides him. everything, that yeah. he's just the best. Man, he embodied everything, you know what I mean? So I would love to you know from a a music icon to a revolutionary when you're talking about real issues and you know bringing it to light through music uh through his power of using his platform It's is bob is on that short list when you talk about just people that really had a global impact yeah and how you view them and i i think he's on that short list when you talk about the michael jacksons the you know the Elvis. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's, he's exactly, an icon. Yeah, he's he's, icon he he changed the world for the better. Like true icon. Like it's it's some icons that you know self. Proclaimed icon, but sure. he's the icon.
1: No, I get it. All right, how bad would the would you whoop his ass in basketball? Oh, yeah,
0: I, I, I go at him so hard just because, you know what I mean? I'd be like, yeah, you, you, Bob, you ready for this action? Like, <laughs> you probably need Ziggy or one of them with you. I, it's about to go down.
1: Ah, just in his face. I Man. shot the shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you thought Trench Town was tough. Yeah. See this jumper in your motherfucking mm-hmm.
0: face. Yeah. All, no right. Woman, no <laughs> All right. Woman, don't cry that. All
1: right. In the mid-90s, when the band decided to sever ties with their managers, they found out the name War was trademarked behind their backs by their producer and manager. Those motherfuckers. Lonnie Jordan kept the name War and hired all new players, and the rest of the group started the Lowrider Band. It's a weird question, but uh, what's the most fucked over you've ever been? Or if
0: not, what have you seen? I've seen a lot of people get jacked up, you know, um, look at Cadillac records and what happened in that situation. And you also look at some of the players that, you know, came in the association uh, misrepresentation. And what I mean by that, it was an agency out there charging people to pay their bills, uh, overtaxing on contracts, uh, double-dipping in all different facets, and it still happens. Um, I also see a lot of fucked-up stuff when you're talking about the NCAA. Oh, yeah. You know, for a non-profit organization – to be so profitable where they make, you know, over the upwards of 2 billion dollars in a 2 week span with March Madness and you have kids that eat noodles and noodles and noodles and not getting paid off their likeness but people always pivot and say, "Well, they get a free education." Uh, I think the education isn't worth that.
1: Do you think it's going to change like you see this stuff starting to happen right now with uh like California just passed the law saying that that players can now start profiting. I no, mean,
0: in the words of Tupac, man, we we came a long way, but we still got so far to go. Yeah, we do. I think that it's a it's a process, it's a journey. We fractured the foundation, we put a crack in it, but you know, people have to still be understand their value and understand that these universities are, you know, just really the, the, the ultimate benefactors of every situation. Yeah, for sure, dude. All
1: right, <clears throat> I think this is the last fact. All right. In 1983, harmonica player Lee Oscar successfully started selling his own brand of harmonicas that are all still very popular. Now, you've had a very successful relationship with Mark Cuban, another entrepreneur uh, with his name on a lot of things. What was the best advice he ever gave you?
0: Oh, man. I I remember, I I recall us sitting down and having a conversation with Mark Cuban and Jeremiah posed the question of, what's your relationship with money and how has it changed your relationship with people? And it was deep and it it was almost, you know, parallel to, you know, what Master P said during his interview where he said, you know, I never done a deal while I was desperate because it clouds my judgment. And Mark Cuban was just like, you know, people judgment get clouded when they see your success pretty much. You know what I mean, but your 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 value and things that you're true to still remain the same. It's just how people view you now because of what they identify you as. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's a he's a billionaire. Like, I can't just like kick the shit with him like we doing right now. You know what I'm saying? It's just like it's it's different how people people with you and how they treat you going forward. It's, It's it's crazy because they're always thinking. The backdrop is the billionaire or the the millionaire or whatever the case may be. The money is the backdrop. So I don't know, man. That that taught me a lot. Because my relationship with my family uh extended in close. Like it teach you a lot just on how to deal and you know, from their perspective too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. completely.
1: Dude, this was great. Uh I, I can't thank you enough. Before we, we, we wrap this up, final thoughts on the record.
0: Uh I thought it was a great record. I really did, and you know, I'm bumping it as soon as I hit this uh, hit the highway. <laughs> I'm headed back on the one on one back into the valley, so I'm gonna be rocking it because you know I learn something new every day, and that that's a vibe that I need. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's it's definitely on my playlist. It's definitely in in, in, in the rotation. So uh, y'all y'all should definitely check it out.
1: Please, Ah uh, Karan, thank
0: you so much, buddy. This no was doubt. fantastic. man. Come on, baby, Wiz Kids for life for life.
1: Whiz Kids, Quran Butler, ladies and gentlemen. You can find Quran on Twitter at RealToughJuice, spelled T U F F. And find him on Instagram at Quran Butler. Check out his podcast, the Tough Juice Podcast, wherever you get your pods. Also, guys, catch him on TNT calling games for the Lakers. He's the man with a plan. We're going to smoke a stick together. And I'm so happy that I am now friends with the one and only Quran Butler. Dude, it's, life is fucking great. I'll be posting Quran's Spotify mixtape for all things 500, like his mixtape or any of our guest mixtapes. Go to our website, the500podcast.com. Email us at 500podcasts at gmail.com. And follow me on social media at Josh Adam Myers. Subscribe on Spotify. Do it. Right now, pause this, subscribe on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, give us a review, guys. Rate and review. Now, we just listened to War from 1972. For new music this week, our music director, the one and only Maddie Pinfield, selected Con Brio con brio are a collective from the san francisco bay area that have been touring the world and have an incredible live following a multiracial band who love war and sly stone have played coachella outside lands they are a band you must see live but you can find all their music including their new single sundown on spotify check out the link on our website the500podcast.com And if you're in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500 podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Cheap Trick Week with their 1977 album In Color. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy.